Welcome to the Tegok Warriors podcast, guys. This is going to be our last episode of 2022. It has been an awesome year for this podcast. Um, I just want to just take a second to sort of like think back on this year. Uh, our goal at the beginning of 2022 was try to get an episode every month that sort of like encapsulated what was going on with the Korean national team. And, um, you know, just my team has been amazing. The Fighting Stipe team has been awesome. We were able to record 12 episodes this year. This is the 13th one for the year, last one for the year. So it's going to be a really good one. With me, uh, calling in from New Jersey, I've got Alan. How's it going, man? It's going great, man. Um, I just had my senior fall at Georgetown. It was a super busy semester, but the end of it was awesome. Being able to watch the World Cup, um, being able to watch one of the most successful World Cup Korea's has, Korea's had in a long time. So um, it's been a great, great year, um, and I'm really excited to cap it off today. All right. Calling in from the opposite coast, we've got June Park. How's it going, man? It's been going really, really good, Michael. And it's been a good holiday season. Uh, glad to have watched the World Cup as well. And I'm looking forward to discussing the future of the KNT and looking into what the KNT has in store for the next World Cup cycle. All right, guys, I think we should just sort of like get into it. I think one thing we kind of want to do is just sort of wrap up a little bit of like what we felt from the year in 2022 for this national team. It ended on a very high note. And I think also, you know, what Alan and June were kind of alluding to was we kind of want to look at like, well, what is it going to look like for the next couple of years, right? What are we going to see for this next cycle, whether it's 2023 and beyond going towards the 2026 World Cup, which will be in the US and Mexico and Canada. So I guess like, Let's just sort of like go into it, right? Let's talk about some players maybe that you guys want to see more of or like the World Cup maybe whetted your appetite where you want more of them or the World Cup actually ended up being something that like you didn't want to see any more of them. Uh, I kind of want to start this because I have one player that I feel like is going to be really unpopular when I do this, but I really want to do it. Uh, all right. One player I don't want to see any more of uh, at least specifically not in 2026, is uh, Jung Woo Young Sr. I think I'm kind of done. I think I've seen enough. And it's you because know, of his age? Like the, what? What did you say, Because man? of his age? Yeah. I just think, like, the pace is gone. All right, do you think like, he played well? I think he played well in a specific part of the game. I think he's a good passer. I think he's a good uh, tackler. I think he also knows how to tactical foul. But I think in terms of, like, keeping up with the defensive speed of the game, I think it's gone. Like, I just think he can't do that anymore. Like, I think he's, like, kind of, like, at that stage where, like, if he gets behind the play, I think he kind of sort of knows, like, oh, I I'm, I'm dead here. Like, <laughs> I'm in a bad position. Like, this is not going to go well for me. And it just seems like for me, at some times during, like, watching those matches, I was like, oh, man, like, he's kind of just catching up to this and he knows he's going to be late like for example like the lucas paqueta goal in the first half of that brazil match he was late like he just couldn't get there in time mm -hmm. same thing with like i think in the ghana match as well he had struggles with that so i don't know i'm kind of for me i'm kind of done i think it's time to look for a new center defensive midfielder what do you think alan so i'm going to disagree with you on how he played throughout the world cup um First of all, that Brazil match, everyone played horribly except for Huang Yichan, so I don't think we should put that against him. Um, secondly, I don't really understand what you're saying about 
how he wasn't playing well defensively, but then you talk about how he put in a bunch of good tackles. So I'm not really sure what your what the distinction is there. Um, and I thought he played amazing in the World Cup. I thought that the pass misses that we saw throughout the qualifiers from him, we did not see this time. Um, he had so many smart fouls um, when we lost the ball that prevented counterattacks that were crucial and could have led to much dangerous situations. Um, and I thought that he was a great leader and, and showed that he was a veteran with previous World Cup experience and really allowed uh, Lee Jae-sung, Hwang In-bum, and Lee Gong-in to shine as playmakers. Um, and he really understood his role and played it to perfection. Um, but with that being said, I will agree with you that he is someone I want to see less of because um, he is a symbol of the fact that Korea has been unable to find a new defensive midfielder. Um, maybe Son Chino is going to be able to take over after this World Cup, um, but he doesn't seem to be as like physically and defensively adept as Jung is. Maybe a better passer, but not as defensively um, stable. Uh, so I really do hope that there is someone that comes up that, that can replace him. Um, and for that reason, I will say that I hope to see less of him, but it has nothing to do with the way that he played. It's really that we just need a replacement and he's getting old. I guess it was like, so the distinction is like, I think he can make tackles. I think you're absolutely right. His passing in the world cup was really good. I, I totally agree. Like his veteran leadership was really good. I think he played really well in that sense, right? He helped, you know, someone like EJ Sung, Lee Gang In, Hwang In Bum shine. But I think it's like, just maybe it's like the defensive positioning and or it's like the speed of the of an attack sometimes he gets behind it and then the recovery of getting to where he's supposed to be to close something down or the decision making like time to close something down or like just you know make a defensive action that will stop the attacking threat i just don't think that that happens fast enough anymore do you kind of get what i'm saying yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not sure if I agree with it. To be honest, like <laughs> um, this is—I mean, this is this is this is the World Cup. Like, this is the world's best players, and uh, but you can't. I don't think that any of our players are going to be playing to perfection. Um, all I want to give credit to him for is fulfilling his role in in as 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 well of a way that he could have performed in terms of like anyone's expectations for him. I think he exceeded expectations. So, I mean, I don't want to critique him, but, um, but yeah. <laughs> well, this I will say if we're talking about the World Cup in that last match against Brazil, um, you could kind of say that Michael, what he had said about Jung Young Sr. was kind of symbolized by the penalty that he gave up for that second goal that, that Brazil got for the second goal. And then you could also say that when Son Juno replaced him in the second half, Bento made the right decision because Son Juno played better, although Bento did obviously make a little bit of a switch with the formation and move some players around. Um, so it does kind of show like maybe some uh, symbolic change of the transition between Jung Young Sr. to Son Juno over the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully Son Juno can be the replacement for Jung Young that we very badly needed because Jung Young is super, super old. Um, but with that being said, I also don't want to to say that like you know Sun Juno played better than Jung Young in the Brazil match because, uh, firstly, that was after the uh, that was after the score was four 0 Like mm -hmm. Brazil didn't care. Like, yeah, obviously Sun Juno played better, um, but and there was there was also like no pressure honestly. But and also the players played with like seventy two hours of rest. So I don't mm -hmm. I just don't think that the Brazil match is a representative of who Jung Young is as a player. 
and also Sonjino, who who he is as a player as well, to be honest. Yeah. That's actually, I think that's honestly like a very fair representation of him. Like, I really like how you took the time to give him the respect he deserves. So I really like that. All right. Alan, who's another player you want to see more of? Tell us someone you want to see more of. And then we'll go to so, June after that, okay? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, the first the first player that we everyone wants to see more of now is Igangin. Mm-hmm. Um, he finally got the call, played amazing in the World Cup, had that crazy assist, instant impact. Um, I can definitely see him being a future starter, like even in this this next coming, whatever the next friendlies are for Korea. Um, but that's what everyone else is thinking. So and that's what everyone agrees on. So one other player that I want to mention is Kim Moon-han. I think that uh, I, I've been a fan of this guy for, for a very long time since uh, since the 2018 Asian Games. I thought he played amazing there. He had a bit of a slump after he went to the U.S., um, got some criticism as for being too... Uh, physically weak and and not very good defensively but i thought he played amazing in, in the world cup um as the as a starter um he's small and he's not maybe as fast as someone like kim Taewon, but i think he makes up for that with intelligence um and uh stamina and um just having like the attacking sense that we we don't really see in a player like kim Taewon. Um, so I would love to see him kind of take over this this starting right back role, just like Kim Jin Soo did, and con- continue to build on this performance. All right, June, give us a player you want to see more of. I could probably give like two players. So as far as like a player that was on the World Cup squad, um, I noticed that the two main goalkeepers, Jo Hyun Woo and uh, Kim Sung Yu, are both getting really old. And so it'd be really nice to see, even just for a couple of times, uh, to see Song Bum-gun get a little bit of a chance to get out there and make a couple of appearances and friendlies uh, that are coming up within the next year. I don't expect him to be starting by the time the Asian Cup comes around by winter 2023 or uh, if it's like in January, February 2024. But I hope that I could see him get maybe one or two appearances in a friendly just to show off his skill set, just to show what he has, because it seems like he's going to be the future of the KNT as far as the goalkeeping position is concerned. And as far as someone who wasn't in the World Cup, um, but a lot of people argued that he could probably make an appearance or probably was good enough to make the squad would be Hong Hyun Suk. So Hong Hyun Suk, uh, who plays for Ghent in Belgium. A lot of people have been noticing his uh, great performances and good form in the, Be- on, um, in the Belgian league. And he's been playing as an attacking midfielder for Ghent for the past few months, even though he's currently injured. And even though he is 23 and Lee Gang-in is 21, and they would kind of be competing for that uh, central attacking midfielder spot or that spot behind the striker, um, Hong Hyun-suk has been uh, a name that I've been really thinking about and really thinking is going to be a big part of the future of the KNT in years to come. And he'll definitely be probably be right in line to be a sub for Lee Gang-in or just a general midfield player, perhaps even a winger player, um, in the in the next couple of matches or in matches to come. I just want to say, like, I like both of your picks a lot. I really thought that, you know, Kim Moon-hwan gave a lot of really good effort at the World Cup. I think, you know, I definitely said on the last podcast that there was some mistakes, especially against Ghana, but still, like, I think he's clearly the best offensive-minded right back I've seen for a while. He's a very modern player, so I really like Kim Moon-hwan. And then Hong Kyun-suk is a really good choice. 
uh, just because I think that he might be kind of the successor to Lee Jae Sung's role. I think that that could be like one guy that he really could over the next couple of years be a really good um, successor to because I I don't know, you know, how much longer EJ Sung will want to play internationally since he's also in his 30s. So that that could be sort of like similar to like how Kuja Char and Ki Song-yong retired after the Asian Cup in 2019 type of thing. I think that there could be something similar with EJ Sung. So we might need him to be more of a successor in that sort of way. I don't think he would necessarily impact upon Lee Gang-in's role in the team, but I think that they could be really complementary to each other. And I think a lot of people said like when there was that AFC U23 tournament last year, right? That Lee Gang-in went to that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they looked decent together. Yeah, like they looked okay. So it's cu- like well, yeah, that was wait, was that this year? Yeah, that was so before we lost to before we lost to Japan and before like I feel like they they started a game together and they looked okay, right? Am I am I making stuff up? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I feel like I remember reading about something like that. I didn't have the time to actually watch those games, so I can't really attest to whether they played well together though. Was it the uh the title winning year? Was that the year that they won the actual title like the U23 championship? No. Okay. So this so t- the the title winning year was 2020. And that was the Jokyusung, Oh Sehun, and I believe Lee Dong-kyung coming out party. That like got them to tro- Tokyo, mm. and then obviously like Tokyo Olympics in 2021 did not go great for lots of reasons um, that I think might come up later. But anyway, um, yeah, I think that like Hong Yun-suk, clearly it'll be really interesting to see like what kind of role he plays. But it seems like he's his time is coming to get a call up i think so that's a really good pick do you think that um, he should have been picked for the world cup squad do you think he was good enough to be picked i don't know who would he have taken the place of alan who do you, who, who would he have taken the place of why don't you yeah i have i have an idea alan give me a player that hong yun suk takes the place of and then i'll i'll tell you if i think that that makes sense what do you think alan i mean i would say i would say that the player that that I would have taken out of this World Cup roster would be Song Mingyu. I mean, he got zero minutes anyway. So if he had to be, if Hong Yun-suk had to be a replacement for someone, I would probably have picked Song Mingyu. Uh, but to be honest, I don't think that Hong Yun-suk should have been in this World Cup roster. Um, his his, I guess, rise in form is was too close to the World Cup, yeah. where people kind of recognized it. But I don't think anyone really thought that he was, you know. World Cup play like KNT player like A team quality just yet. So I don't I don't think that he should have replaced anyone. Yeah, I mean he he had like no reps with the senior national team. And like even, you know, people were sort of like Lee Kang in has no reps with the national team since early 2020, right? That was kind of their sort of worry or early 2021 was their sort of worries with and he never got any reps with Palo Bento's team, so why was he going to the World Cup, right? And we sort of saw how that worked out, but but well, that, that's I think that's slightly different because he still yeah. got reps. Like yeah, it's that's not, he that's never what I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's just yeah, I think it would it have been too early, but now it, it feels like it's his time. And I think if we're specifically like talking about like replacing Song Mingyu with him, the one thing I would say though is like Song Mingyu and him 
Song Min Yu's doing what he does in the K League. Hong Hyun Suk is doing that in the Austrian League and the Belgian League. So it's hard to say if those are if that's a step up or not. But they both do score goals as like an attacking midfielder. So that's sort of one side of the coin. But then obviously you have Song Min Yu's total amount of reps with the with the Korean national team being just much higher than Hong Hyun Suk ever had. All right, before we move on, I have a question. Were there other guys uh, that we don't want to see any more of or, like, see less of in the future? Oh, man, I hate to pile drive on the same guy over and over and over again. And it's not even, like, necessarily me, but it's, like, everybody else. And I think a lot of people just don't want to see Huang Yijou <laughs> much anymore, but he's supposed to be coming up. Or a lot of people are expecting him to at least linger on in the national team for the next year or so. He might be able to make the next Asian Cup. But it seems clear now that he's lost his starting position to uh, Jogi Sung. So, um, man, I, I really don't want to keep mentioning that name. But I guess that's another. That's one that people people obviously have in mind when it comes to not wanting to see a certain player. What do you think, Alan? Do you agree? Yeah, I mean... <sighs> It's tough because, you know, 20, 2019, 2018, 2020, those, like, those years, like, Huang Zhou was, like, the, the key goal scorer. Like, he scored the most goals for Bento. And then uh, once the final round of qualifiers came up, he scored zero goals during that. He saw he clearly showed a decline in form and in the World Cup. He didn't play very well at all. I, I do really hope that he revives um, I think that a good call for him might be to maybe go to the MLS um, since the world, next World Cup is, is going to be held in the U.S. I think that could be some way to kind of get consistent playing time in a slightly lower league um, and also kind of prom- like show why, why he should be picked, continue, like he should continue to get picked for the KNC. Um, but yeah, I, I, do, I do see why people don't want to see him, especially now with the rise of Chogi Song. Yeah, so with Huang Yijou, like, the thing that's, you know, for sure, I I feel like he's not going to be playing anymore for Olympiacos. Uh, the transfer window is going to open in a couple days. Uh, we're recording this on December 28th. It's going to open on the on the 1st of January in 2023. So I don't think he's going to be playing anymore for Olympiacos. But then the other thing is that he may not be able to play for Nottingham Forest because there's a rule with FIFA, like, with transfers. And FIFA, obviously governs transfers and how they work and so their rule is that you can register for three separate teams in one season but you can only play for two if they have the same calendar so that would mean like olympiacos and bordeaux the greek and the french league both have the spring to like the fall to spring calendar 2022 to 2033 season so he can't play in another league that has that so he can't play for Nottingham. Like they have a, you know, a fall to spring season. So he has to go somewhere else. Um, MLS has a, you know, 2023 season. The K League has a 2023 season. The J League has a 2023 season. Like, I don't think, I think he's going to, you know, either get a short-term loan somewhere, but he has to play somewhere else. So we'll see. But for me, the way I see him keeping his place in the national team is either going to MLS or going to the K League or J League and starting to score again and then playing decently well at the Asian Cup. 
I think that's he has to prove himself in a major tournament again. Uh, Alan, do you remember? Like, did he play well at the 2019 Asian Cup? He scored two goals, um, and I mean, the entire Korean team didn't play that well that that tournament. But I remember he scored a penalty and he scored the first goal of the of the, of the for the Korean team of the tournament. Um, so I mean. He wasn't like lights out, but he, he got the job done and he played better than most of the other players. There was, for whatever reason, like a ton of injuries that went on right right around that time. So, I mean, he was one of the few bright spots on the team. I will say, though, that I don't think Hwang Yijo was ever slated to play for Nottingham Forest. I just know that Nottingham Forest and Olympiacos have the same owner. And Hwang Yijo was probably signed because they need to, needed to get someone on the checkbook or off the checkbook. It was something very technical. And so I don't think Hwang Yijo was ever going to play for Nottingham Forest. And it seems like he's slated to make a move probably back to East Asia within the next year. Yeah. Their whole, like, Nottingham Forest's, like, whole summer was very much, like, sign a lot of players and, like, just mm -hmm. do a lot of things with their checkbooks with, like, a bunch of loans and stuff like that. So, not really sure what their plan for him was. And then, obviously, once he got to Olympiacos, uh, form wasn't good. He was kind of not really prepared for the season to start. And then they also signed Cedric Bakambu, who is a very accomplished and just sort of a player that was kind of ready more than he was. So, it kind of just didn't work for him there so we'll see where we're next for him i think also it's gonna be a fascinating battle to see how jogu sung develops after this breakout world cup i think that's that's fascinating all right let me think is there is there any oh there's one player i also wanted to talk about okay i want to see more of peksungo uh i was just like intrigued like namu talked specifically about like his calmness and his ability to pass really well against Brazil. Uh, did you guys agree with that? Like, do, what do you think of that sort of take from, from Namu? Well, I mean, going back to what Alan said before about Sonjuno's performance, right? You have to take into account that Brazil was probably a little bit more laid back in that second half than that first half because they were already up by four goals. So if you saw some of the midfielders making really good passes during the second half of the match... Um, a lot of that could be attributed to the fact that, you know, Brazil kind of laid back and wasn't really pressing as much as they did in the first half. Um, but I will say that, to me, that was kind of a surprise because, um, I mean, especially in relativity to what happened with Igain and his, um, what happened with him appearing in the World Cup, it seems like there was something opposite going on where Bexumo was really getting a whole bunch of runs, run of performances for the KNT but he didn't make a lot of, he didn't end up making a big appearance in the World Cup. And then Igangin disappeared for 18 months and then ended up making like several crucial appearances in the World Cup. So I don't know what happened there. I don't know why Bek Sungo all of a sudden fell out of favor in Bento's plans. I just think that um, he did well, of course. He did score that one wonder goal in like the 75th minute. And he did get a little bit lucky there, but he put in a good performance considering the circumstances. I personally think that with, with Huang Yinbaum not going anywhere anytime soon and the rise of Igangin, um, that the role of Pexingol is a little bit unclear because he's also not going to be like that physical presence that, that we need to support those two guys. Um, I, I mean, he, he got, he got plenty of opportunities to show how, like to prove himself with, with Bento. Um, I remember he started the Brazil match 
when Korea had the friendly with Brazil like earlier this year and lost 5-1. Uh, Bexingo started that match and he did not play very well at all. Um, he's gotten previous opportunities to play as well. Uh, I remember he scored a free kick goal um, in the January friendlies, I think. Um, and he also obviously had that top 10 World Cup goal um, for, for against Brazil. But other than those, you know, one-off set-piece goals or, or distance shots, I don't really think there's that much that Pexingo offers to the team right now, especially with Hwang Yinbom and Yigangin. So to be honest, I, he's not one of the guys that, I mean, I would love for him to become, you know, a superstar, but I just don't think that he has as big of a role or we need him for as big of a role as, as we do for some of the other people. I will say, too, that Bexumo, he already, I mean, I think he's like 25 right now. And it seems like his time has already passed. I mean, he did play on the Barcelona Youth Academy with uh, Isomu. And he did have quite a bit of potential there. But it seems like he's kind of fizzled out. He bounced around like the second division of Germany, the second division of Spain, didn't really perform well in either of those leagues. He ended up having to move back to Korea. And it seems like he's kind of in a dead end right now. It seems like there's not really a clear-cut path for him. He's playing for Jumbuk right now. And um, I guess he's okay in the K-League, but he's not really... He fell out of favor so quickly with Bento, like, all of a sudden. And I'm just not sure where the path for him is right now. Yeah, that makes sense. And then also the other thing that's, like, a big dead end for him is the fact that he never was selected for a U23 team to try to win military exemption. So there's just like a lot of kind of up in the air stuff with him. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll actually see if the new manager uh, gives him a chance or not. But I think that that's one thing to really segue to. You know, we know that the manager of the, the Korean national team will change sometime soon. So I wanted to like, kind of like get your th- guys' thoughts on this. What we know about Paolo Bento sort of re-signing contract negotiation was that they made an offer to him in September. So that was probably like around the time when those September friendlies happened or before that. The offer was one plus three. They they said, we'll give you the year 2023 and probably the Asian Cup. And then if we like that, we'll sign you up for the full three years after that to go to the 2026 World Cup. And from what Bento saying is like he decided in September that that offer wasn't what he wanted to take. And he decided at that point, I'm not resigning. I'm going to be done after this world cup. What do you guys think of that offer? And then what do you think of Bento's decision to, to not take it? I would say that the offer contrary to opinions of a lot of people that are talking about the KNT right now is that it was fair. I think the offer being one plus three, I mean, I'm going to, I'm just going to go to, I'm going to put it into this context. The Korea hasn't won the Asian cup since 1960. And that's one of the main goals of the KNT is to win that tournament. And a lot of the legacy of the coach, a lot of the praise or the reputation that the coach, that the coach builds upon is whether or not he can win the Asian cup for Korea for the first time in over 60 years. So I think it's fair if you give him one year to see how he does within the Asian Cup, you know, and you don't even have to win the tournament. You just kind of have to make quarterfinals at the minimum, semifinals maybe. And that's insanely doable for the Korean national team right now, considering how highly they're ranked and um, how much momentum they're coming off of from the World Cup. 
Um, I mean, I think it's I think it's fair, and he automatically gets another three years to the next World Cup, and there's not much that really goes on between the Asian Cup and the World Cup, aside from maybe World Cup qualification matches, and those aren't the most difficult thing in the world. So for Bento to really hold out and say that he wanted the full-on job security for four years, I think is a little bit stingy to me, despite the fact that he did take Korea to the round of 16 in the last World Cup. What do you so, think, Alan? Yeah, so, I mean, I understand why the KNT gave this kind of offer. You know, this is September. It's not like this is the point at which Bento has already taken Korea to the round of 16. You know, there was a lot of insecurity. Uh, let's be honest here. The, the popular opinion on Bento was not, like, amazing leading up to the World Cup. So it would have been very difficult for the, K and, uh, the KFA to offer a four-year extension to Bento, and I understand that. Uh, but with that being said, I can also see why Bento didn't didn't take the offer. Um, I mean, a one year extension. I mean, if you if you were to take that up and then you were to like not get re-signed after that one year has passed, you kind of have three years um, where probably most national teams are not looking for a coach since they already just had a new one. So I can see why Bento also didn't accept as well. It's a little bit unfortunate because I think that Bento could have done could have gotten four more years um i always thought that bento would be a, a great coach and i always respected his passion and his uh composure um and his willingness to kind of just stick with his game plan rather than you know be be swayed by other people uh, but it is what it is i, I do wish that the knt has done more and maybe even announced a coach by now um that is i think something that bothers me more than the fact that bento wasn't re-signed the other thing that i kind of want to just like bring up is like why did they make the offer to him for the contract before the World Cup? Because, like, for me at least, hearing what you guys just said, right, that he's such a good coach and he ended up leading us to the round of 16, obviously the public opinion during the year of him wasn't great because the experiments with his tactics from June through September and October didn't go amazingly well. But why couldn't they just see what the, you know, World Cup went like, have that contract run out and then offer him a new contract? Because it, at least if it was me, right, after a World Cup where he's taken us to round of 16, you would offer him the full four years, right? Yeah. I mean, even so, I don't know if it would have been a given, you know, Bento did a great job in his four years but with that being said i don't know if you want to kind of rely on the same person for eight years um so even if you know even if the contracts were negotiated after the world cup was over i don't think it would have been a given that you know you have to get this guy to continue on um but to answer your first question my guess would be that bento brought up the conversations of renegoti renegotiating contrast trunk contract in september and that's why it had to be addressed at that point, but that is that is a very interesting question that you pose. I yeah, will say that I think the one plus three was fair. Um, in Bento's situation, I think there's a little bit of recency bias due to the fact that he was he did take the team out of the group stage of the World Cup, so there's a lot of appraisal for him right now. Um, but he was never really perfect. I think people throughout his four-year tenure would, were, were saying like, oh, he's stubborn. He doesn't change tactics. I think this is something that's repeated over and over and over again. 
And if you were to give him another four years, I mean, would it benefit to have, I mean, a stubborn coach? There are some pros and cons, of course. Um, but if he doesn't really want to change tactics leading up to the world, to the next Asian Cup, um, maybe leading into FIFA World Cup qualifiers, um, you could see maybe the team's tactics or just general performance stagnate. And I think that Bento himself wants a different challenge. Um, the KFA wants a different direction. I think they were satisfied with Bento, but it wasn't perfect, of course. Maybe they feel like there could be a different direction or even a better direction with the, whoever's on the short list right now. So um, I, I think the one plus three was fair. And um, I still think Bento was a little bit stingy to ask for the four guaranteed years for his job security. I just, I don't understand. What do you think, Alan? I mean, I, I do agree to a certain extent with your with like the recency bias that you're talking about. Um, and Bento, I'm not saying he's a perfect coach, but I still do think that we should give him the credit that he deserves for the things that he did achieve in the four years um, he spent as the coach. I mean, you look at the qualifiers. Like, when was the last time that Korea was able to secure a qualifying spot after, what was it, like seven matches? Mm-hmm. Like, I think he definitely deserves credit for that. Um, he always had his style of play and, you know, promoted a specific type of possession-based soccer. And that's not something we see within a lot of other coaches. You know, uh, Stulike talked about possession, but when you actually watch him play, it was hilarious because the goalkeepers were just booting it up the field. They were not passing the ball and promoting possession. So I think that, you know, Bento was not perfect, but he still was the best coach that Korea's had in a very long time. And that's why I think that he would have been, you know, a great option for him to continue coaching. Um, but, you know, now that, now that he's not, we got to figure out how to move on from here and how to build on him and not, you know, do a, you know, go back to where exactly he started from. Uh, we got to build on this progress. I think that's, that's the most important thing for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish Paolo Bento a lot of luck in his next job. And I'm also really interested in watching that team play, whether it's a national team or a club team. Like I, I would, you know, cheer for that team because I think watching Bento at this World Cup, his team, the Korean national team, played entertaining football in every single match. They tried to win every single match, which was really fun to watch. Not necessarily what we had done in 2018 or 2014. So overall, it was a big improvement. We wish him luck. In terms of what the KFA is saying about their next manager, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on their recent statement about the fact that maybe the search for the next manager hasn't really started or they haven't drawn up a set shortlist yet or they haven't decided on the salary range. What are you guys' thoughts on that recent statement that the KFA put out in response to some media rumors about their search? Michael, why don't you start off with this? All right. Well, I think that like it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, just sort of like reading like, you know, what Jin Suk from the original Tavern like talked about in his article, like sort of talking about that statement, basically some random KFA VP, uh, Jin Suk mentioned Kim Byung-ji, who is the legendary like fashionable goalkeeper. Um, he is now the CEO of Kangwon FC sort of managing their transfer policy or whatever a CEO at Kangwon FC does. But anyway, he was talking about like patriotism or someone that's a very passionate Korean. Um, and then that's how kind of got a, like a little blowback and they had to like put out this statement. 
I don't really get it because I think like the one thing that you could obviously 100% say about Paolo Bento was he was actually quite passionate about being the Korean national team coach to the point where he would like in this year specifically, he was criticizing the KFA and the K-League for their scheduling because he thought that it put too much burden on his national team players. That's a very passionate national team coach, which would seem to be something that they want. And if you're talking about patriotism, like does that just mean that only Koreans from Korea can have patriotism for Korea? Like I don't really know, but it's a little bit confusing to say that and then the other thing is like if you knew that Paolo Bento was not going to be your manager or if you heard that this the negotiations with him didn't go well in September, why didn't you make a committee to start searching for the new manager already? It's just kind of confusing to me. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very messy situation and there's a lot going on. Um and I think part of that stems from the fact that Korea did well and it was already established that Bento was not resigning, so I think that's part of where the frustration comes from. Um, but yes, I do agree with you that uh, I'm disappointed with the with the K fate in that I think there was a it might have been in that Instagram post or in some other news um like so other other announcement that, that they hadn't started meetings at all in, in picking who the next coach is gonna be. I think that's a problem. You know, obviously you're preparing for the World Cup, so you can't dedicate all your resources to picking the next coach, but to not have had a single meeting um, about who the possible coaches are, I think is is kind of frustrating as a fan to, to look at. Um, I think that the KFA definitely could have done a better job in, you know, the coach selection process and could have avoided all of these all this backlash. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that some of the frustration is definitely justified. I find those rumors strange though, because they're kind of juxtaposed with the rumors that uh, the K the KNT coach has already been selected, and that Kim Hak Bum is like obviously going to be the front runner choice, and they're just waiting any moment now to disclose the fact that he's going to be the next manager. So it's just strange. You hear those rumors, and then you hear the rumors that the KFA has nothing planned. They haven't even interviewed anybody. They've never even called anybody or contacted anybody. Um, it just seems like there's a huge, huge mismatch. And I don't think anybody really knows what's going on except for the people in the KFA. So um, maybe the speculation is all useless. Maybe we just need to wait a little bit. Um, but the rumors are all weird. They're, they're all over yeah. the place. It's also hilarious because now if if Kyopam is picked, then they're gonna then everyone's gonna be like, oh, it was always Kimakbom, even <laughs> yeah. if even if it was even if that wasn't the case. Yeah. So it just created a very very messy situation, <laughs> and I just hope that, I mean, I just hope that it's, I just hope that we don't lose all the progress that Bento has made. That's that's my main thing. Yeah. But yeah. All right, it's time. We've we you you mentioned Kimakbom. And I, I have something that I was thinking about with Kim Akbum that I'm curious to see what you guys think of. All right. So in Jin Suk's article, sort of talking about like he was thanking Bento, but he was also talking about the, the search for the new manager. He talked about Kim Akbum and he specifically talked about Kim Akbum's training tactics at the Tokyo Olympics, where he was essentially like doing like a lot of intense warm weather training that like just really tired the team out and was overall maybe backwards and just you know too old school is there any thought that it's possible that 
Igangen wasn't able to keep up with that type of training at that point in his career. Um, at that point, you know, that was coming off of a very spotty play season with Valencia, right? In 2021 summer. And also like coming off of his, you know, unsuccessful time with the Korean national team in, in March of 2021. Like, is it possible that that's why Igangen got benched and that sort of tournament kind of got derailed? What do you guys think? Any thoughts on that? But is Gimakbum the only kind of manager that would do that to their players, though? I don't think he's alone when it comes to that sort of training. Do other managers do that sort of training? I'm sure they do all around the world. Um, I don't know. I think they're, they they see Gimakbum is probably going to get the position, and they're they're looking for something. Um, that one thing that really just to you know slack him off of and i don't know um i think that's just sort of an excuse but i wonder what you think well okay so this is just so this is what was like jin suk was talking about during the tokyo olympics he made the team turn off the ac in their hotel and during training so that they could get used to the heat uh, of of you know japanese summers just you know what, what do you guys think of that like there were reports of players being so exhausted and nearing heat stroke because of those these methods i mean i i have never been a soccer player and i don't really know a ton on what the ideal way for for training and fitness is so it's hard for me to have an opinion on it but the uh the heat stroke part is 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 kind of rough i don't think i don't think that's that's good um, have you have you heard of any stories like these from anywhere else any other manager michael allen no, but I would say that Kimakpum <laughs> is kind of known to be like the more like old school strength and fitness yeah. like military style coach. Yeah. So it doesn't really surprise me. I mean, it's so interesting with Kimakpum, right? Like we all remember like he's essentially the guy that has saved Sonung Min's European career by winning him a, uh, an Asian Games medal. And he also is kind of the guy that is somewhat responsible for Hwang Yijo's ascension to the Korean national team for the, you know, the 2022 qualification cycle and world cup. So I'm actually it's really interesting. I kind of yeah, want to push, push back on that one point. So the idea that Kim Akbum was a key or played a key role in getting so on his military exemption. I just think that Kim Akbum had a much better hand than any other team that was there at the tournament. Um, and if you look at the actual results of Korea in that 2018 Asian Games, it's not like Kim Akbum destroyed everybody. Um, he actually had some pretty disappointing matches. I think he lost that first game. That's to, also true. Yeah, that first game against Malaysia, two to one. Um, I remember <laughs> Song Bumbun had a really, really bad mistake. He almost like flipped over and ended up dropping the ball after hitting the ground. So that was really bad. And then there was also, and they ended up finishing second in that group, I believe, um, second to Malaysia because of that loss. And then they squeaked by against Uzbekistan. Uh, I think in the round of 16, they ended up having to go uh, into extra time and played a crazy match where they won 4-3. Um, the two impressive mm -hmm. matches against Iran and Vietnam, but then they also had to go into extra time against Japan in that final, um, where they had to rely on that Huang Yichan um, second goal, that security goal, to secure a gold medal. And then they also had that, I think in that third group stage match, that 1-0 one, uh, one, one victory against Kyrgyzstan, where Son scored 
a goal in the la- in like maybe the dying minutes. I forgot. I mean, the, this was such a, a long time ago in such an obscure tournament. But um, yeah, Kim Bum. I mean, if we're talking about whether he had a key role in that tournament, um, getting Son his military exemption, it's not like Korea played amazingly well in that tournament. I think they just had the upper hand all the time with the players that they already had. I mean, their roster was miles above anybody else when it came to potential. So um, I'm not giving Kim Bum that much credit for that tournament. Yeah, this is actually true. I mean, like, so... When we think about that 2018 Asian Games, we have to remember, like, Japan in the final, right? They were probably playing a team, I think, a couple years younger than U23 because they were on their Tokyo Olympics preparation cycle, right? So it would have had to have been, like, a U21 team. So there was that. And then, obviously, that was the, the tournament that had Kim Min-jae, that had Kim Woon-hwan. Uh, we had Son Min, Hwang Lee Jo... Uh, Huang Inbum, Na Sang Ho, like there was a, you know, there was a lot of, you know, players that ended up coming to the World Cup. So it was a really good squad. That's actually a really good point. Like how much really did Kim Bum do in that tournament? I mean, then you compare it to his 2021 Olympics and, you know, him not getting a second medal in a row is kind of the kind of counterweight to it, right? What do you think, Alan? Um, I mean, I I give credit for his discovery of Huang Ijo and also, I mean, like his selection of Huang Ijo and all that criticism and just doing it anyway. I think he deserves credit for that. I also think that we got to give him credit for picking people like Inbom, Da Sang Ho, um, because it's not that those people were the studs back then. It's that he picked them and they played well. And then that led to Bento starting to use them because he noticed them. Same goes for Moonhwan, actually, also. Um, my critique of Kim Akbom, which is why I don't really think that he'd make a great coach, though, for the, for the A-team, is that he has a tendency to shuffle lineups a ton. Um, we saw this in the tournament that Oh Se-hoon, Jogi Sung, Lee Dong-kyung, that all of them won together. The lineup was changing every single day. Uh, Lee Dong-kyung actually just played only like the second half, half the time. Um, and I also saw that in the Olympics. We also saw that in the second match that, that uh, Jin was talking about that we lost in the, in the Asian Games when Song Bumgun made that awful error. Um, but this was also something that we saw in the Olympics, right? We would see like Kim Jin-ya playing left wing, um, Lee Gang-in coming in as a sub and then starting one game, and then Kwon Chang-un being the wild card and then coming out. The only guy that was playing the entire time was Hwang Ijo because that was, he was the only striker on the team. Um, so that's that's my one concern with Kim Akbam as a coach. I don't think that he has, you know, the intelligence and the soccer, you know, knowledge. Uh, I think he's probably a good leader and a, a good coach in, in that he's very charismatic, but I don't think that he has the technical abilities that, that Bento had and that we need going forward. And that's why I'm, I'm cautious about rooting for him as, as the next coach. I have a question, Alan. Is there a domestic, like, Korean manager that you think maybe has the the right stuff to be the next Korean national team coach? Man, I wish I wish Shin Tae-yong wasn't the coach of of the twenty eighteen World Cup because I think that he would have been a fantastic coach if he were to be have given the four years that he deserved. 
Um, it's it's unfortunate. It is what it is, and I don't really think he's going to come back, especially after all the criticism that was going on with him um, throughout his throughout his campaign until the Germany match when things finally started going his way. Um, I think that two coaches that could maybe develop it in the future are Kim Gidong, the current, po- the current Pohang Steelers coach. He's known to be very creative, um, making things with making things making something out of nothing. Um, He's led Poeng to success despite having like one of the smallest payrolls in the in the entire league. But with that being said, I don't think I would want him to be the coach just yet. I think he should probably coach like a bigger team first. Um, Kim Byung Soo is also known to be a very creative coach, but he doesn't really have the um, results to show for it just yet. I think he also had some awful relations with with his team before he got fired from Kangwon. So uh, he's got to prove himself a little more too. But those are the two that that come to mind right now. But to be honest, no, not really. I don't think there's that, that many coaches that that are super creative like like foreign coaches are right now. All right, June, I have a question. The two other names that are Korean that are getting a lot of mention right now are Choi Young-soo, uh, who coaches Kangwon FC, and Park Hang-seo, who has just left um, the Vietnam national team. He's going to or he's going to leave them after they finish up their um, Asian, like their AFF Cup that they're playing right now. Okay. Well, I'll, do you I'll, think either of those guys work? Yeah. Well, I'll give you my opinion about Che Yong Su very briefly. Uh, I don't think he's interested. I, I really don't think he's interested. They keep asking him in the media, do you want to coach to KNT? Do you have plans to coach to KNT? Have you been contacted to coach to KNT? And the thing that he's saying over and over again, even though this might be kind of expected, is um, no, I want to stay at Gangwon. I'm interested in what I'm doing right now. Um, as far as him being a good coach in the K-League, I have no doubt about that, but I just don't think he's interested. Now, the second option, Bak Hang-so, that's, that's actually really, really interesting. So um, it seems like every other manager that's in realistic um, ground to get the KNT manager position has had some concrete successes, successes on the international level. Um, I mean, I already talked about Kim Ak-bum, and obviously he doesn't, he, you know, you can't attribute that Asian Games win to him super well, but... Um, he does have that, and he also does have the 2020 uh, AFC U23 championship under his belt. Um, you all, but then you have Bak Hang-so, who has won an AFF Challenge Cup, I think, with Vietnam back in 2018. So that's the Southeast Asian tournament. And he's also just, in general, brought Vietnam up the rankings of the Asian football hierarchy. So for the first, I don't know if this was the first time, but it was the first time in a while that um, he actually brought Vietnam to the third round of the FIFA World Cup qualification tournament. And that was, you know, just for this last World Cup. And although they didn't do super well in that qualification tournament, or they didn't do well at all, um, he at least brought them there. And that is a big, high, a new height for the Vietnam national football team. So Bak Hang So has some concrete successes on the international level as well. Um, there is also the mention of Shin Tae-yong, and I actually think that that's not as far-fetched as some people might think. They're kind of comparable, actually, if you compare Shin Tae-yong and Bak Hang-so. So Shin Tae-yong right now is the current head coach at Indonesia. Um, he was appointed in 2020, and he has similar successes, and he was able to get Indonesia a second-place finish at the last AFF Challenge Cup in 2020. And both him and Bak Hang-so are actually um, managing for the 2022 AFF Challenge Cup that's happening right now 
and they both won their first two group stage matches. So um, they're actually quite comparable if they're both on that short list. Um, I would say Bak Hang So has a little bit of that advantage right now just because he's, you know, more informed. He's been with Vietnam a little bit longer. He's been in that system a little bit longer. He's leaving now, but um, he's ha he has that more recent international success. And then he also still has some of that experience um, coaching um, K-League teams or teams in the Korean domestic club system and internationally as well. I think he's had some experience coaching U23s, U20s at one point for Korea. So um, Bak Hang-so gets a little bit of that edge, but um, I don't think either of them are that far-fetched as far as like the next manager for the KNT is concerned as prospects. Alan, do you think that it's possible that Shin Tae-yong would accept the offer to come back if they decided to, like, they're like, hey, we'll give you the four years? Um, I'm skeptical just because those two years were so turbulent. I think that uh, Shin Tae-yong himself probably got a lot of, had a lot of traumatic experiences as a result of that. Um, I don't think that, I don't know if he wants to, he's willing to put himself back out there. Um, and open himself up to all this criticism. Um, and I also think that picking someone like Shin Tae-yong or Park Hang-seo would lead to is the whole criticism that we always see with the Korean Football Association about, you know, the revolving door. It's just the same guys over and over again rotating. And I I mean, it's the same thing with, with all these names, other names like like Kim Hak-bom, uh, Choi Young-soo, it's just always the same names over and over again. And I, I just wish that there was someone that could kind of take over from here as the guy who kind of reads the modern trends of, of modern football instead of just playing so old school. Because that's what Bento did. Bento read the current trend of soccer, um, you know, playing out through the back, not always just going for the long ball, providing some sort of identity to the Korean soccer team. And I wish someone's going to carry on with that. And I don't think that any of the names that we've mentioned so far is going to do that. How would you guys at least rank, maybe, like, if you guys could rank Kim Ak-bam, Shin Tae-yong, and Bak Hang-so on a list, how would you guys rank them? No context. Like, like if, 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 if any of them would say yes, I would probably go Shin Tae-yong, Bak Hang... Eh, Shin Tae-yong, Kim Ak-bam, Bak Hang-so. I think that Bak Hang-so has made his mark in Korean soccer. He's, he's getting old now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that he should just kind of be a forever legend in Korean soccer and doesn't really need to risk his entire coaching legacy to come back. Um, but I, I would say Shin Tae-yong is probably my, my top choice among those three. How about you, Michael? Do you have a ranking? This is hard. Um, I mean, what Jason always says about Kim Ak-bum is that he does try to study managerial techniques and like you know tactics and try to study the game so maybe maybe he's my first choice and then uh shin Tae-yong and then pak hang so like i guess the thing that i i kind of worry about with pak hang so is like you know succeeding in southeast asia is all well and good but if he couldn't like if he didn't succeed nearly enough against the rest of asia i'm not so sure it would go all that well in World Cup qualifying when he has to play the entire continent of Asia. Um, so that's kind of like why I put him third. All right. I have another question that I have to ask. 
Alan, as a foreign managerial candidate, who would you like, who are you kind of looking at? I don't think we've ever like talked about this. Yeah, to be honest, I don't have a ton of a, like, I don't know a lot of the, the smaller name that's like a smaller name coaches who are realistic candidates. Like people are talking about like Pochettino, like that's not, that's not happening. Like let's be, let's be realistic here. Right. Um, and I don't really know a ton of, you know, smaller name Korean football coaches. I mean, fo- football coaches abroad. Uh, but with that being said, there are certainly a couple of qualities that I would, that I think we can learn from, from Bento and Stilike about like who would make a good candidate. I think the first thing is having a clear desire and passion to coach the Korean football team. You know, Bento said, we need to go to work every single day. So he decided to live in Ilsan instead of living in a hotel in Seoul. He also, during his interview process, was the only coach who actually created a report on the cave, on the Korean soccer team and how he would lead the team. Um, and he had a clear, you know, desire to remake a name for himself after a couple failures as a coach um, in China and a couple other countries. Um, and he was hungry. And he was also, in addition to that, firm and composed. Um, he didn't let what the media was saying or what other people were saying get to him. And he always had his plan and he showed that it worked. So I guess the, the qualities... Um, that we're looking for is a clear passion and desire to coach for the team and also someone who has a clear soccer or football philosophy that they can that they really want to implement so I guess those I don't know who exactly has that I hope the interview process kind of reveals who it is but those are the two qualities that I'm looking for the most Gene, what do you think do you do those sound like really good qualities they sound really good to me yeah um those are pretty pretty on point i would agree um as far as like a foreign manager is concerned if i had to put a name out there i was going to say urban r from i probably totally butchered that name but um for saudi arabia obviously um i just i i looked at his salary for saudi arabia and he's getting paid something like two million pounds um, up until 2027 and his total contract is like 35 million pounds in total including like bonuses based on like performances and so my thinking is that the kfa has no way of like matching that i think the rumored salary for the knt manager is like what is it like one billion one a year do you know michael i think it's yeah it's like so what like is that, that like a million a million dollars a year around there yeah it's like yeah. i think you know the range is like one to 1.5 million. Yeah. So I was looking at his salary and I was just like, there's no way he's going to going to Korea. Um, if he's someone obviously that, um, prioritizes his financial well-being, his financial security. Um, but I guess if you had to bring a foreign manager up into the mix, then that would be the name that you would bring up. I think some other foreign managers were pretty interesting prospects. I heard Marcelo Bielsa come up. He was the former manager of Chile at one point. Um, I heard, what's his name? The former manager of Mexico coached them during the 2018 World oh, yeah. Cup. Uh, Juan, Carlos Juan Carlos Osorio. That's another good one that came up. Yeah. Uh, I think Juan Carlos Osorio might have hinted at managing Korea at one point. Um, he said he may have been interested if the right, I guess, granted the right money came in or, um, the right contract came in, um, he could coach too. Um, 
I don't know. I don't, I just, for me, I don't think Korea is going to go for a foreign manager this time around. That's just my gut feeling about it. I just think all this talk about Kim Ak-bom and then the two options for, that are already in international football right now, I think, and then of course, p- the pandemic uh, kind of changed the outlook for the KFA. They have decreased funds. Um, I think they're looking at those three options, Shin Tae-yong, Bak so and Kim Ak-bom, and they're just kind of like, hey, we already have people who have some good international experience. We should just poach from there. We should just poach a domestic manager. So I'm not really looking at foreign managers right now. What do you think, Alan? How does that make you feel? Uh, Disappointing, but, you know, my opinion is just one person's opinion. If it's a a, a domestic manager, then, then, you know, I do hope that they prove me wrong because – I don't really love any of the candidates that are that are being thrown out there right now, but you know, if any of them are appointed, I'm gonna I'm still gonna root for them and hope they prove me wrong. Um, I would love to see Kim Bum, you know, uh, regain his his uh, his identity as one of the best coaches in Korea um, after that failure in Tokyo. So, I mean, we'll see. I like that. I like that we don't necessarily have to like, you know put our hats in the ring behind one person or say that it's like one person or, or, or bust type of thing. I think we will hopefully know in the next couple of months, we'll hopefully be able to talk about it maybe in the next couple episodes. Uh, but we will have a new manager. We have a lot of, you know, stuff to talk about with that. Um, the other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about before we wrap up is the fact that within this weekend, the transfer window will be open. Obviously there have been some, you know, moves that have already been announced that are really important in Europe. But let's sort of talk about a couple players uh, that are Korean that might be making moves. Um, I think the first player that we have to talk about is Chogyusung. I'm actually hearing that the uh, the Celtic rumors are, are getting a little bit more uh, circumstantiated. What do you think of that move? So... I think, you know, I think that Chogi Sung will be a great asset to whatever team he goes to just because he has such a big fan base right now. And I can see why so many teams are, are looking for him. Um, but with that being said, I personally think that Fenerbahce might be a better pick for Cho. Um, you know, Celtics is, is a great team also, but... But we saw how he struggled when, when he first got to the team also. Um, and Togi Sung, I hate to say it, but I think is someone who played better than his usual form at the World Cup. You know, he played amazing, and I, I love him for it. But I, I don't know if he's going to be able to maintain that world-class, you know, two goals at a World Cup level, if he's going to be able to sustain that. So I think it's important for him to go up in steps and i think that fenerbahce is a better next step for him just because you know of the example that kim and jay set for him and also because my impression is that the turkish league is a little bit worse than the scottish league um so that's why i think that that would be a better pick for for him than celtic the other thing that i want to mention is that the third club that is also rumored to be in for him is stad rene uh which is in france and also i guess the, the thing that's like kind of interesting about that team um, they also looked at, at one point, they looked at Huang Ijo, but they also just finished in second in their um, Europa League group. 
uh, just behind Federbache. So they also offer him the chance for possibly like European football as well. So that's kind of cool. I think that all three teams have their kind of like strong points. So I'm actually like happy that he's getting, you know, linked to successful teams that are still playing in Europe. I think that's really cool for him. Other, I will actually like, let me let June uh, answer and like talk about a little bit about Joe Gusong, but I'm going to check on uh, Celtics European campaign as well. I mean, I think all three of those clubs are really, really good. I just think that if Joe Gusong gets that move to Europe, that's already a step above of what he's doing right now. Um, I would say that if I had to rank them, I would probably put Rene number one, even though that might be too big of a jump and he might not get starting. He might not get a starting position right away. Um, and then second, I would put Fenerbahce. Third, I would put Celtic. I just think actually the Turkish league is better than the Scottish league. Um, and in the Scottish league, there's not really much competition aside from Celtic and Rangers. So it's just them two going at it against each other. Whereas in the Turkish league, I'm sure there's more competition. I'm sure um, things are a little bit more hectic and that might actually be a good thing um, for Joe Gusung, uh, considering the fact that he probably wants to elevate. And so it's good to, for him to see all sorts of different tactics, formations and whatnot. Um I'm just glad that it seems like something is really panning out for him. I'm just glad that he's able to make something off of this hype and people, clubs have really been seeing or have, have been keeping a keen eye on him. And so um, I'm just glad that a move is being made in general. All right. So I have an update. Uh, Celtic is out of European football entirely. Uh, they finished in fourth place in their Champions League group. So the other two teams, Fenerbahce and uh, Rennes, were able to advance to the next stage of the Europa League. Uh, Fenerbahce straight through the round of 16, or around, yeah, they're straight through the round of 16. And then Ren will have to play a playoff against the Champions League team. But overall, I think you're absolutely right. Like, it's it's really good that he's going to get to play for, you know, European club. The price is also, like, pretty substantial. I think it's, it's around 2.5 million is what they're thinking, like 2.2 to 2.5. So that's, like, a good price for, you know, a young striker like him. Overall... I think he did his best. He had his best season. The 2022 season for him was amazing in the K-League. The World Cup was amazing. So it's it's now time for him to challenge himself and sort of see what level he can go to as our striker. Uh, but it's very exciting. I'm, I'm excited for him to move for sure. Um, in terms of like going the other way though, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on Idongjun going back to Jumbuk Motors. Like, what do you guys think of that? It's disappointing. Um, I wish he played better in Europe, but um, I think that it was the right move because he was really, really struggling in Europe. Like, he was getting playing time. He was battling injuries. He wasn't getting picked for the national team. Like, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for Lee Dongjun. And I was actually super surprised to see that he was coming back to Jumbuk, not Ulsan. Um, especially because it seemed like he had really good relations with Hongmyungbo. But, I mean, I, I do hope that he, he tears it up in the K-League again because I think he's a great player. Um, if he play, if he, if he were in slightly better form, I think that he would have easily been on the World Cup roster. It's, it's unfortunate. But, but yeah, I think that the move is going to be good for him. And hopefully, if he, if he plays better this time around, or if he, if he you know, revives this time around, he'll be able to go back to Europe 
a little bit more prepared and have a better better stint there um, afterwards. I think that with Lee Dong-jun moving back to Korea, I think Lee Dong-kyung is is there's a similar trajectory going on. Could you correct me or is that what's going on? Is Lee Dong-kyung going back from Germany to Korea? Not in January, but they're they're thinking like it's going to be like the loan with with the second division team Hansa Rostock will just expire and they won't, you know, sign him permanently, so he'll go back to Ulsan Hyundai, which is the team that he's still contracted to. Uh, he's he's like basically on loan in Germany first with Schalke and then Hansa, right? So they're saying like in the summer of 2023, he'll be going back. I think both of them, like it kind of ends up being that the the move to Germany didn't work out and then they didn't get enough trajectory to parlay themselves into a clear, I know that I'm going to be selected for Asian Games 2023. I think that's like, do you feel like that's like kind of like what it is? They now have to feel like they kind of like want to play their way back into that. Well, they were both going to be selected anyway, right? Or or do they? Does it benefit them at all to go back to Korea and play for a Korean club to get selected? At least for me, I think like when you're especially going to be selected as a wild card, which I think both of them will have to be selected as, then I think you probably need to be playing a lot. So it's possible that in January, Lee Dong-kyung might like ask, can I have my loan terminated and go home so I can play in Ulsan and, and get more minutes? Because he's not really getting much minutes in the, in the German second division. And then I think Lee Dong-jun's thing was the same thing. Like he asked to go, he asked to be transferred back home because he just said like, I have to enroll in the military soon. So I need to be playing more and either you know, get selected for a U23 team and go to the Asian Games or the Olympics, or I need to be able to be playing enough in the K-League that Kim Chun-sang-mu will actually select me for their team. Because that's the thing that's, like, kind of crazy about Kim Chun-sang-mu is that, like, they don't have to select anybody that applies. They can actually pick who they want. I will say that the situation for both of those players kind of says one of two, one or two things, or one of two things. So that's either players might need to look at the career trajectory of those two and make the decision to immediately do their military service at the age of 18, or the KFA needs to make some sort of reform with in collaboration with the government to ensure more paths to military exemption than what they're offering to athletes in general right now. Um, maybe they need to implement some sort of policy where if you get a certain amount of caps for the national team, at the senior level, um, you get a military exemption, and that allows you to not that allows players to not have their careers derailed, especially if they're playing abroad in places like Germany. So um, I just think that there's a bigger picture out of what's happening with those two players, right? It, um, for the KFA or for Korean players in general. Yeah, what do you think, Alan? Yeah. Um, I- it's, it is unfortunate that that military service is the reality that that our soccer players have to deal with um, but I think that that Cho Sung and also some other players like Osehun although he he hasn't been playing well since his transfer um, I think that they're like examples of people who are getting their military service out of the way assuming the worst and just getting it over with and I think that's going to be something that more and more players attempt as they see how players like Idong Gyeong, Idong Jun and Pek Sungo uh, 
don't have their military service figure out and it's going to be something that's going to set them back for the rest of their their careers so i definitely think we will see a trend towards that 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 transition for sure yeah i think like a, a player right now that has just been selected for kim chun sung mu that kind of fits that kind of bill is is cho yong luke um he's just sort of like you know he's played a couple u23 sort of teams and it hasn't worked out and he's just sort of decided i'm going to apply and go so overall it's it's not the best thing that our players have to deal with but it's just like it just is what it is now like this next year's tournament right the overage selections are actually going to be really interesting because you have hong hyun suk you have pek sung you have Lee dong you have Lee Dong-jun, those are four players that are overage and have never served their military yet and haven't won the exemption. So you only get three wildcard selections. Like, what do you do at that point, right? <laughs> it's just, it's a very interesting thing. Like, And then obviously, you know, you have to think about the fact that Lee Gang-in is also, yes. you know, he's still eligible, mm-hmm. but you want to win him that exemption at some point soon. So it's a whole thing. But I think that kind of transitions into like what I wanted to sort of end on and sort of like look forward to in 2023 is kind of what kind of tournaments we're going to go towards and what tournaments we're going to be watching as a, as a podcast. So in terms of like a little bit of like a map for this podcast in the next year of 2023, um, for our January episode, I feel like we're going to be probably talking about the transfer window a little bit more. We're hopefully going to be talking about just the joy of having European football back and how that season is going for some of our players over there. Um, in February, I really want to like preview the K league. Alan, I really hope you'd be on that show. That would be really fun to preview the K league with you. Uh, and then in March through May, U 20 world cup qualifying and FIFA FIFA U 20 world cup happens. And then the summer is, you know, preparing for probably the Asian games in the fall. And then I guess in the November window is when 2026 World Cup and 2027 Asian Cup qualifying starts. So it's a packed year, actually. It's going to be really interesting, right, guys? Yes, sir. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Korea picks a good coach that will uh, continue on with what Bento was built for the team. And hopefully uh, 2023 will be as good of a year for Korean soccer as 2022 was. Yeah. Any final thoughts, June? Yeah, uh, just win those competitions, please. And oh, and, and don't forget <laughs> to me- not to mention. Uh, don't forget to mention the 2023 uh, FIFA Women's World Cup. So I think Korea is already qualified for that. I know. I think Michael, yes. you thank you so much for reminding. Yeah, me. Michael, you know a lot about that. So um, we're going to be watching that as well. I think, and um, I'm really looking forward to that as well. So please win. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for reminding me about that one as well. That's going to be in July and August in Australia and New Zealand. That should be really fun. I'm excited for that as well. But for now, I just I think I wanted to end with just like a thank you to everyone for listening to this podcast. Uh, happy holidays. Happy New Year. Uh, we wish you all the best in 2023. And we hope you'll be listening to our podcast soon. But for now, uh, you know, peace and blessings. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next year.